over Kansas City. Kansas City pretty sitting at 84 and 71 when Detroit is 86 and uh 86 and 69. And once upon a time when we thought this Detroit team would win 100 games, they're lucky to be getting this postseason. No, I completely agree. And if you know, we have a lot to touch on today, and I'm so excited because everything is. Oh, like we went, we both were sitting in the press box for yep. the Michigan State EMU right. game. Interesting, no, they come out 73 14 and make that statement game, especially coming off that loss to Oregon. You know, Lions as well. I was impressed with, with, with what they had and Tigers. It's come down to seven games. So I'm in, interested to see what this week will bring them. Yeah, Faith, you mentioned with the Lions too. And we'll talk about it in our second segment around 7 26 Eastern time. Lions with a 19 7 win, as I mentioned, over the Packers. Really, the Packers haven't won a game away all year. They come off that win against the Jets with that hullabaloo, that touchdown that wasn't with Marty Mortimwig. Packers come in with that somewhat hectic win over the New York Jets. They play the Lions, and the Lions handle them. And although we could talk about it, Faith, because I know we will, the Lions didn't look pretty in this game. They got it done when it mattered. And that's really the NFL is winning when it matters, and the Lions did that. But, Faith, let's let's dive right in right in our Michigan State football segment. And, yeah, I mean, I got a lot about this game thus far, and there's a lot of people to me that look somewhat impressive, and there's also a lot of people that did not look impressive. That's right, I'm saying it. There's a lot of people from Michigan State that did not look impressive. Hang with us, we'll we'll tackle it all here on the Pact. But, Faith, 73-14 over a terrible Eastern Michigan team that a lot of people are saying, hey, don't get your head too high on this one because Eastern Michigan is the worst team in the country. I mean, I wouldn't argue with that. Eastern Michigan, they did not come out. And I know I was talking to somebody the other day about it, and they just said, I've never seen Eastern Michigan play so badly. I don't remember them being this bad. But one thing I was impressed with was Michigan State, obviously. They came out, they made that statement, like I said, especially coming off that loss against Oregon. I was impressed, though, with the coaching. I think because the coaching three minutes into the game, MSU already had played 47 players. And at the end of the half, that is true, 63. So I was really impressed with that. And plus, I saw that they were trying to make that movement against, you know, getting those young guys out there because they played 17, you know, true freshmen or redshirt freshmen. So they were trying to get those young guys in there to get that repetition and get that experience. And Faith, you broke it down. At half, Michigan State's up 49 nothing. Michigan State has 16 first downs. Eastern doesn't have a first down. Rushing, they have 14 rushing yards net, net, and I clarify net. Michigan State, 164. Passing yards, Robert Bolden and Co., 15 passing yards. Michigan State, 156. So when you look at it, hey, when you're 2 for 16 passing, Michigan State's defense looked very good. You're punting the ball seven times. You had two fumbles, six turnovers in the whole entire game. They could have converted a third down if they even tried when Michigan State was 6 for 8. So really, at half, the game was handily won. But I think this was a very – and I think because it is Eastern, so you, like I said, you cannot get your head too high if you're Michigan State. But this is a dominating performance for the Spartan team. And I know Connor Cook, he came out after the game saying we wanted to let this line out of the cage. We wanted to come out and make that statement and – as you can see, they did. And like you you kind of brought up that halftime, it was 49-0, which is, I think, one of the most of the D'Antonio era before halftime. You know, they started, they started with five touchdowns in their first five possessions, and they had added their eighth touchdown in the third quarter before Eastern got their first down, their actual first down. Faith, it was a dominating performance. 
You know, Connor Cook gets the four-yard run, 7 nothing. Jeremy Lankford with a great move, shake and bake. It's a 21-yard scamper. It's 14 nothing. We're eight minutes in at that point. It just looks very dominating. Michigan State's up 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter. Yes, they tack on and make it 49 nothing by the end of the first half. It was a dominating performance when it's all said and done. And look, I saw a lot of bright spots for Michigan State. And I know I saw some people that didn't look impressive. But I just want to bring, before I get to that, I want to say, you mentioned it. And I'm going to just reiterate. Great coaching by Michigan State because I think it was Michigan State's offensive coordinator saying that, look, you can't stop when he's returning a punt, returning a kick, whatever it may be. You can't tell the guy to stop. Michigan State was never running the score up. They only threw the ball four times in the second half. This team ran it. Oh, my. It felt like they were running every play. It felt like they were running the the ball when they were on defense. (laughs) That's how much this team was running the football. I didn't have a problem with that. But really, an all-around dominating performance and coaching-wise, managing a blow is a big thing. Coach D'Antonio didn't want to blow this team out. But you mentioned Connor Cook. They had all that anger biled, uh, bottled up, and they wanted to let the lion out of the cage. And it's safe to say they did. And it, you brought up the fact that D'Antonio was talking after the game, saying we really didn't want to blow Eastern Michigan out. We really didn't. But he said when Delton Williams goes for that eighty-yard run, I'm yeah. not going to stop him. You know, it's that was those that time for those guys to shine. And they shine because when it's your time, Faith, you need to step up. And it's these dominating performances. You know what? These you know these cupcake games say something to me. Because it's these backup faiths that get an opportunity to shine and say, hey, maybe they could contribute for a big play in a game that matters down the season. And I think there were some questions that for this game was good for the Spartans just because I think, like I said, I was very impressed with the coaching of the game, getting those young guys out there. And I think they wanted to, before they play Wyoming for our homecoming game this Saturday, I think they wanted to get some questions answered you know some of these young guys can they step up to the plate who can we fit in there if somebody gets injured they also they also wanted to look at what gaps or holes do we need to fill in before next Saturday's game yes indeed Michigan State did need to fill in a lot of those gaps but when it comes down to it Delton Williams is the guy for me that looks really good yes I understand 10 rushes 103 80 yard scamper three TDs he's an obvious star here you didn't really get to see a lot of Langford because this game is out of hand. So for Michigan State, what I saw to DW was he is going to be the guy for Michigan State next year when Langford is gone, and he will be the featured DB, DB. He will be the featured tailback. I liked what I saw to the running game because Michigan State needs to run the football, and if they run the football effectively, then they're in good shape because that's their mo is running the football. Yes, Connor Cook did look very good. But then again, five for six, 83 yards, two touchdowns. He didn't get to do anything. He had that. And yes, he had a rushing touchdown as well. So Connor Cook looked fairly decent in my opinion. But when it comes down to it, you didn't get to really see what they all can do, which is scary when you have a Wyoming team, which won't be as bad because you can't be as bad as Eastern Michigan. (laughs) No. Because Eastern Michigan flat, I'm going to say it. Eastern Michigan flat out is terrible. I I mean, I was pretty exhausted and tired, and I don't want to say I was going to fall asleep, but it was a very boring game. It was boring. I mean, it's sad, and I felt bad for a lot of the writers that they had had to come up with stories because there really wasn't a story besides What was the story from this game? Michigan State blew them out. Michigan State dominates. (laughs) 
Well, and, you know, and you're talking a little bit about Connor Cook. You know, he had a great performance, whether or not he, he was accurate. Yes, and he did, even though he didn't play very much, but that team they played five of their quarterbacks. Tommy Vento got in there, Tyler O'Connor, Damian Terry. So they got more repetitions, like I said. Five quarterbacks in a game. Yes. Five. When was the last time that happened? I don't. I, I couldn't even tell you. I think you. the coaches said that they don't remember they don't even ever know. happening. <laughs> the coaches don't even know when this would happen. If that doesn't say something, I don't know what does. Because Michigan State was class. There's no doubt about it. And to me, another story, Tony Lippett's season continues to cruise. Three receptions, 45 yards, two touchdowns. But, Faith, this guy's come out of nowhere. He could arguably win receiver of the year in the FBS, and no one in the going into the season was talking about Tony Lippett, but he's been outstanding. Tony Lippett has already five scoring catches in just three games. Yeah, so he's got five re- touchdown receptions in three games. And another guy who's is finally healthy, A.J. Troop, again, oh, two receptions, a great catch from whatchamacallit. I think it was Tyler O'Connor who had that catch on A.J. Troop. But regardless, Faith, they looked very good. And if Michigan State's going to keep doing this, they got to win with class. And although they didn't want to blow it, this team out, they almost needed to because that's the way it is. It was from Tyler O'Connor, so I was right. It was a 33-yard pass in the right corner of that, of that south end zone. So I just had to make sure. But <laughs> no doubt, even though Michigan State doesn't run up the score they needed to run up the score because the way college football is going this year, you got to. I mean, I felt a little bit bad personally for Eastern Michigan just because they ran them. They ran them, you know, I think – let's look right here. Uh, MSU forced six turnovers, yep. and they held most of the possession during this game. Oh, and, they and dominated No, it. Spartans are the national leaders right now in average possession, 38 minutes and eight seconds, and no other team in the country has possessed Fate. that ball that much. Faith, at halftime, Michigan State held the ball for 21 minutes, 34 seconds, in a half. Yes. I mean, that's insane. I, I, I just can't believe it. Eastern was just absolutely terrible. And the former Penn State quarterback, the former LSU guy, Robert Bolden, it almost looks like he just wants to play <laughs> because he's not giving you anything. Yes, Geiger gives you a kick, look decent. But to me, another thing we're not talking about, Damian Terry getting in the game pretty early. He, and he got in before uh, Tyler O'Connor, Yeah, correct? because that's – yes, he did. Because that's the Damian Derry package. So if you're Michigan State, you want to see what you can do with the Damian Terry package, and that's showing you a lot. And I love what that because, to me, the Damian Terry package is going to be what separates Michigan State and gets a change of pace. I think I heard Joe Rexroad say this on air today around uh, the drive with Jack and WVFN. The first bi- – the, the Big Ten opener for Michigan State is Nebraska. For some reason, Nebraska gives Michigan State a hard time. Always. I don't know what it is. But will that game be a shootout? Who knows? It's a night game. Tempers will be high. Because you know this game against Wyoming. Now, just to put it in perspective, because you know the voters are looking at this. Oregon is very impressive. They played Wyoming this year. They won 48-14. To me... If Michigan State wants to make a statement, I don't know if they can do this, but if they want to make a statement for the second week in a row, they beat Wyoming by more than that margin that Oregon did. Now, if you can do that, that says that is brownie points to the voters. And if you don't think that, that that's what they're thinking about, you don't know college football. Quite frankly, you don't know college football because the way college football is rolling this year, the voters matter. 
Every vote matters. And if you, there's so many obscure attributes, ramifications, if you want to say, that will hinder or help improve your chances at getting to this 14 playoff. As far as what I'm seeing, Michigan State is sitting pretty nicely right now. Number nine. Very nicely, fate number nine. You took the words right out of my mouth. I think the next Big Ten team is 19, correct? Yeah, it's Wisconsin. There you go. So good work there. Nebraska, there's 21s. They move up three spots. Congrats. Wisconsin's 19. But to me, Faith, it doesn't matter where everyone in the Big Ten is ranked. No. It doesn't matter. Because if you're Michigan State, you got to win out. And I know we're saying this every week. Fino, you are the biggest chatterbox. You repeat your stuff every week, week in and week out. I'm telling you, Faith, this team needs to win out if they want to smell a playoff. Now, the people that are saying, Fino, this is not possible, I'll tell you why it is possible. Because the way they're voting, Florida State gets 34 votes, first place votes, that is, in the AP, Oregon 12, Alabama 6, Oklahoma 4, and then at 6, not even 5, at 6, Texas A&M gets 4. So it's very obscure the way the first place voting is working. If Michigan State looks impressive, the rest of the way against Nebraska, Against Michigan, and Michigan sucks, let's be honest. Oh, I know. <laughs> but against Michigan, against Ohio State, I don't care if Ohio State's not ranked. You got to look impressive. It really comes down to this, though. The Michigan State Spartans cannot lose one more game in order oh, to be a playoff not. contender. Oh, yeah. That Oregon game has to be put behind them. They have to, you know, that has to be their one loss, and they have to be successful the rest of the season. And Faith, I think it is. And, and, and you know, you and I were at the, con- or the press conference, and we were listening to everyone's. I don't want to say dynamic, but we're listening to what the coaches had to say. It's past them. Michigan State is sixth, sixth in the FBS for points for, points against their 50th. So defensively, they still got to shine. But points for, Michigan State's averaging 48 points a game. This offense is rolling. (laughs) See ya. If Michigan State does that and they can put up points, I understand. 45, 27, 73. If they go to the Big Ten season and put up points, Faith, mixed with this defense, this can be an animal that would be very tough to tame. I just wanted to ask you this, Fino, though. Yes. At this Eastern Michigan game versus Michigan State, what impressed you more? Was it the offense or the defense? Because both shined, really, in this game. Offense. I think defense was disappointing. And that and, – and that's, and that's what goes to me. That's what I was about to say. Hey, there's a couple things in the game that I loved, and there's a couple of things I absolutely hated. And I'll tell you what I absolutely hated is how they played defensively. They, both touchdowns were blown assignments. Of course they were. They were both blown assignments. And if you look at it, Shalik Calhoun said it himself with the presser. Those were our mistakes. They didn't score on us. We scored on ourselves. Those were two large plays, Faith. If you look at it, 14 points should not have been allowed, period. And so what impressed me the most? Offense, to answer your question. And one of the biggest disappointments for me was defense because arguably the worst team in the country you allow 14 points to? Are you serious? I get your point. But Come on. See, I see some positives in that defense, though. MSU what forced, positive did you see? They, they forced six turnovers? Yes, they did. Okay. But, but not only that, they didn't let them get a first down until the six minutes into the you know third quarter. Faith. I mean, they had 300, it's 350, 320 total yards at the halftime, and Eagles had one. It's 56 nothing. 
Michigan State allows a 43-yard touchdown pass. Robert Bolden, Tyler Allen. Then later, in the fourth quarter, Robert Bolden, another pass at Tyrese Russell. Nine yards. The point is, they allow these nine, 43 yards. Now, okay, Fino, nine yards isn't a lot, but they allow two big plays. And I'm going to say it. Against Eastern Michigan, a nine-yard pass to me is a big play. And if you don't agree with me, feel free to let me know. Because to be honest, this is the worst team in the country, in my opinion. And look, they allowed two big plays. Defense, a little disappointing. No, I'm, I'm, I can understand that because those 14 points really shouldn't have been up on the I board. I thought defensively, Michigan State looked more impressive against Oregon versus Eastern Michigan. Even though they allowed 46 points to Oregon. In that game, and I know people are sick of talking about that game. But Michigan State only scores three points in that second half against Oregon. Oregon scores 28. If the offense just moves a little bit and the defense shuts a little out, hey, they win that game because they are winning 24-18.5 against Oregon. And in this game against Eastern Michigan, they're up a 49 and a half, and then they allow 14 points in the second half. Disappointing. Let's, Sorry. Let's switch the gears a little bit because we got okay. Wyoming coming up on Saturday. For Michigan. Okay. For Michigan State. Yes. Homecoming. homecoming. So what are, what are your predictions, let's say, for Michigan State versus Wyoming at Michigan State? I think Michigan State, and apparently I was wrong because of my way too early prediction against for Eastern, I said they'd win 35-7. Oh, wow. And the only reason why I said that was I never thought Michigan State would have 73 points up. Most points in a game scored in the D'Antonio era. So it was clearly a record-breaking milestone game. Now, to answer your question, what do I see the score being against Wyoming? 12 o'clock game, ESPN2. Hands down, Michigan State will win. I think we both agree on that. But I think Michigan State's going to have to put over 42 points up. I think Michigan State wins 45-10 said it. 45-10 because defensively, they're upset they allowed 14 points to Eastern Michigan. So I think they allowed less points than they did in this game. So 10 points there, and then 45. Just, you know, a simply put, hey, they score six touchdowns, get a field goal. 45-10. I was looking at some stats. Um, nice. Wyoming, the only thing we uh, have in co- which Michigan State has in common with Wyoming is that they did play Oregon. Right. So when the, the Spartans played Oregon, they were forty six to twenty seven. That's that was the loss. And when Oregon played Wyoming, they lost forty eight to fourteen. You know, and, and looking at yardage though, Oregon comes out with five hundred and fifty six yards to four hundred and thirty nine yards. Yeah. Michigan State was four hundred and ninety one compared to four sixty six. So I actually think with Wyoming is going to be a bigger contender than I think a lot of people are. Uh, okay, maybe. Thinking. But look at the schedule. They played Montana, who's an FCS team. They beat them by five, 17-12. They play Air Force, a Mountain West team. And, yes, Wyoming is also a Mountain West team. Hey, they win 17-13. They play Oregon. They get sh- just smacked. Then they play Florida International or Florida, Florida Atlantic, and they win 2019. Florida Atlantic, Faith, is a terrible team. The Owls are 1-3. They haven't played a CUSA game this year, but just so you put in perspective, it all ties full circle. Florida Atlantic played Nebraska, 55-7 they lost. They played Alabama, 41-0 loss. Then they play Wyoming, 2019 loss, a Wyoming team that has played an Oregon team, which Michigan State 
will play this Florida Atlantic team that they already lost. You see what I'm saying? Yes. I'm tying everything full circle. Nebraska played Florida International. Michigan State played Wyoming. Oregon played Wyoming. That's how people are going to look at how you played against common opponents. So That's what I'm looking at. And that's the way you have to look at because that's the way the committee's looking at. Simply put, so you like Michigan State to win this game against Wyoming? Yes, I think 32-14, that's going to be my prediction. 32-14? 32-14. Obscure score? I, I mean, that's just what I think. But Why not? Yes. Um, I mean, I'm just excited because Michigan State has not played Wyoming since uh, 1976. So it's the second time they're playing Wyoming. I'm nice. excited to see a new opponent in the arena. That's all. Nice stuff. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll halt it here. We'll take a quick break here on the Pact. When we come back, Fade, we'll debate about a little Detroit Lions. They're 19-7 win over the Green Bay Packers. A win that I did call here on last week's show. Stay tuned and more to Embrace the Spartan Debate right here on the Pact. You're listening to the Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM, East Lansing. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. All the gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's Progressive Torch and Twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. You're listening to coverage of Spartan sports like never before as we embrace the Spartan debate here on The Pack. That is right. We As we embrace the Spartan debate, the same time, same place, every Monday, 7 to 8 Eastern time here on WDBM Impact Radio, your only place for sports knowledge here on campus, Faith. Brings up the segment two. We're talking Detroit Lions, and yes, they are sitting pretty, and I could say pretty at 2-1 and one after their win over the Green Bay Packers, and they're undefeated at home, Faith, 2-0 and oh, as they face the New York Jets in New Jersey next week. So they're sitting pretty as the Jets and the Bears square off. Tonight, Monday Night Football, 8.30 kickoff on ESPN. But the Lions. We'll be all going to Pepino's, enjoy a pizza, watch the game. That's right. We will be there, Faith. We've been at Pepino's pretty much all day. (laughs) We Uh, we are regulars. We are regulars. (laughs) Welcome to being regulars. Um, But there's a lot of storylines in this game. Nate Freeze getting cut. Alex Henry, the new kicker for the Lions. But the 17-9, or 17 19-7 win, I promise I got it right the second time, (laughs) over the Packers. Uh, are you surprised with this result? You know, I'm. I knew they were going to win this game, but I guess I'm not super surprised. I mean, you see really? Matthew Stafford come out. He throws two interceptions. He's, he's struggled twice. a little bit. I don't. I think he's struggled over the past two games. So, he looked t- better in the preseason before actual season. I'll tell you what. I'm a little surprised. I actually am very surprised because. I don't think the Lions get it. Now they did win, so I'm not going to be a win's a win. A win is a win. But this team is very vulnerable. And if they play like the way they played this week, next week, I think they lose. And the reason why I'm saying this, Matthew Stafford, very unimpressive to me. Yes, they do win. But more importantly, I think the big story is the Green Bay Packers are played absolutely terrible. 
Packers only running the ball 22 times a game. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, your bread and butter, 27 attempts. They just didn't possess the football at all. The Lions don't, they don't run with Reggie Bush. To me, it's a mess. I mean, if you look back on previous times Detroit played Green Bay, Green Bay has actually won 15 out of the 17 times they've met together. And the Packers were 9-1 and one with Rodgers playing. And I was really impressed with the defense, though. This is where the defense comes I'll give comes you in. this. Oh, my gosh, yes. I mean, the fumble, running it back for a touchdown. I, I personally was impressed with the defense. And like I think you said, you touched on, they're not taking care of the ball, though, on offense. No, they're not. And, I think and that's the weakness. To me, the story is, defensively, DeAndre Levy, 10 tackles, one tackle for a loss, two pass deflections. Just playing, just playing excellent, really, for that linebacker position for the Lions. And, and they need him, especially after Tullock's out for the season now with the great celebration tearing his ACL. That's unfortunate. I'm not going to rip on him for celebrating and tearing his ACL. <laughs> I'm was, not gonna I was go- pretty shocked that that happened. It's terrible. You never want to see that. But to me, DeAndre Lovey's playing in sensational for the Lions. He, play, he was sensational last year. He, DeAndre Lovey led this team in interceptions last year. He's off to another fast start again. He's having a great season. And look, week one against the Giants, 10 tackles, interception. Then against Carolina, aberration, seven tackles, not too impressive. And again, back to double-digit tackles this week against Green Bay. So to me, Faith, the story is this. Levy's impressive, but offensively, which should have been the Lions' bread and butter, to me has been their Achilles heel. No, I, I'm with you. So – you're thinking offense is struggling more than defense, correct? I'm sorry? You think offense is struggling definitely more than defense? Yeah. My, got, I think uh, the Lions are honestly depending a little bit too much on the defense. I mean, defense, look. I mean, a, defense scored a touchdown and a safety, yeah, nine yeah, points. And right. you can't expect the defense to do that all the time. No, no, I can't. But when has the Lions defense... When have the Lions really had a defense they can seriously rely on? So this is new for them. And to me, if you're going to be contender in the National Football League, yes, you do have to have an electric and a good offense, but you need to have a defense. You need to have a defense. And the team they're playing next week has a front seven defense. They're going to be throwing the ball. So to me, just like what the Bears will do against their former their opponents for next week, they will attempt to throw the ball. But when you're the Lions, Faith, I don't have a problem with relying too much defensively in this game because they haven't really shown that often in the recent years with the Matthew Stafford era. So, I don't know. I like their offense to improve, but right now, Fate, you cannot deny that it is struggling. No, absolutely. I completely agree with you. But looking at the statistics, the Lions rank number one in total defense with an average of 244.3 yards allowed per game, and that's only in three games. But they are coming up against against the Jets. They're coming up a number three ranked defense. They two hundred and seventy four yards. So it's going to be a completely different game coming up tonight. I mean, yes, the, the you you will see, and the Lions know this. They, they will scout the Jets tonight. They know it. The Jets are at home, so they will travel to New Jersey. But yes, the Lions know what they have coming up. The Jets defensively, you mentioned, are very very good. They're first in rushing yards in the NFL. They run the ball. They average one hundred seventy nine yards a game, and they allow 52 rushing yards a game. The Jets have the best run defense and the best running game in the NFL right now. Yes, the Jets, 30 in the NFL out of 32 in passing yards. So the Jets like to run the ball. If you're a Lions fan next week, if you can stop the Jets on the ground, you win the game. And do you think that the Lions can do that? If they play defensively like they play today, it's a game. 
because their front, their defensive line has been very good. It's been very good. I think it's going to come down. I think Stafford's going to have to clean it up. I, I really pre- do because Stafford faith against Green Bay was just not impressive to me. Well, I personally that's think two the de- weeks in a row where Stafford has not been impressive, and, and that's the thing is I personally think that honestly the defense is covering up for Stafford um, Stafford's mistakes. Maybe. They had to overcome those three turnovers, and they were honestly the driving force to get this team to victory. To me, the Lions, this is a dirty win. But in the NFL, you need to have dirty wins. That's the NFL. You need to have dirty, dirty wins, period. Meaning, and you're probably like, Fino, what does that even mean? A dirty win means a win that doesn't look clean. It's a win, but you mentioned it. It's, a, it, it, it's the expression, a win is a win. They didn't look good. A 19-7 win. The defense scores nine points. The offense scores ten points. To me, unimpressive, but impressive because you beat a team you rarely beat. Unimpressive, but impressive. Unimpressive because you didn't look good while doing it, but impressive because you beat a foe that you haven't beaten in a while at home. Now, if you if you win 19-7 over the Browns, super unimpressive win. But it's unimpressively impressive because you beat the Packers, a divisional team, while doing it. So the Lions, the way they're at, if the Bears lose, Lions fans are Jet fans tonight. If the Bears lose tonight to the Jets, which is very possible in my opinion, the Jets are a one-and-a-half-point favorite, if the Lions, if the Bears lose, hey, the Bears are one and two. The Lions sit pretty at the top, top of the division by themselves, and that's what the what it comes down to. It if they can win against Chicago in their division, the Lions will have a good season. But the fact that they beat they beat Green Bay, and yes, they do put the Bears on Thanksgiving this year. But the fact that they beat Green Bay, faith. Their work is cut in half. I'm just scared. I'm. I don't want it to be a repeat of last year. The Lions. This is what I mean. Is because last year Stafford had this problem. They need to clean Stafford up in general. But last year he had a turnover problem, and especially in the second half of that season, he finished with 19 turnovers, and that was the most since he was a rookie. Right. If he does no not, Eli Manning, and the but... fact that he already had already two uh, two interceptions, almost lost a fumble last game. He really needs to clean up his act before the Lions can really move forward. To me, for the people that say I'm insane, the only reason why I say Stafford does not have a good game, yes, against the Giants on Monday night, 22 for 32, 346, two touchdowns, QBR 90, uh, 97.5. The Giants are terrible. So to me, that he did not look good in that game because he's not. that's not a legitimate team. Carolina is a legitimate team. Although Carolina lost last night pretty handsomely to the Steelers at home, Carolina's a good team. Carolina will win nine games this year, at least. But against Carolina, 27 for 48, your completion percentage is 56. That's bad. That is not where Stafford needs to be. Stafford's bread and butter is throwing over 65% completion percentage, and he has yet to do that. Against Green Bay, really flirted on that cusp, 64.7. So a roundup, say fine, but he didn't throw a touchdown pass. He turned the ball over three times. You fumble. You throw two picks. Turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. He has four turnovers this year and three touchdown passes. Anytime you're in that negative side of turnovers to touchdown ratio, in my opinion, you're unimpressive. And the only reason why I'm being super critical, folks, about Matthew Stafford is because Matthew Stafford is imperative to the Lions' success. Not Calvin Johnson, not Golden Tate, not Reggie Bush. It's Matthew Stafford. If Stafford plays lights out, they win. If they don't, they lose. Luckily, their defense in this game against Green Bay shined. And that's when it comes down to it. They were the ones who cleaned up his act. That's what it comes down to. 
I mean, shouldn't that be what it should be? Right? I mean, Isn't life that simple? My thing is, though, that they just cannot depend. I, I understand that their defense is much better, but they just cannot depend on this defense to just clean up their act because Stafford has to in general. So what do you suggest? Now, going forward. Yes. You said Stafford has to clean up your act. Yes. Or his act, rather. The Lions, to me, are still an eight-win team. Do you agree with that or you disagree with that? No, I agree with that. I, I'm hoping he cleans up. What do the Lions need to do to be over my prediction? Nine, ten, or God forbid, do I say this, 11-win team? It's the offense. I'm not exactly sure how to okay. do it. I'm not a coach. but No, we're critics. We're playing Monday morning quarterback. It's very easy to say what you should have done differently after the game is played, but we're critics. It's just the fact that offense is not generating points. Because if you look at this past game, offense gets seven points, special teams gets three, and then you have defense getting nine because they have the touchdown and the safety. So that's all it comes down to is you need to start generating points. The Packers aren't that good of a team, but they have a decent offense. The receivers dropped a lot of balls and stuff, but Matthew Stafford threw two interceptions. It's a gimme's. To me, the Packers and the Lions are a very similar team. Whoa, what am I saying? I'll tell you what. For that team, for that particular team to be very good, their quarterback needs to be outstanding. Matthew Stafford needs to be great for the Lions to be great. Aaron Rodgers needs to be great for that team to be great. Aaron Rodgers was great against the Jets. He led them to come back. They win that game last week. Aaron Rodgers is terrible for his standard against Detroit. In Detroit, they lose. Simply put, Matthew Stafford is bad. But he won because I said this, that defensively, the Lions were better than Green Bay. Green Bay is struggling. Green Bay is down this year. Just like the division last year was down. The Lions didn't take advantage of that. This year, they need to. Defense, surely, they shut Rodgers out. He only had 162 yards. He was sacked twice. So, And he's typically 9-1 and one against the Lions. I mean, he smokes them. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has a Lions number. There's no doubt about it. But if you look at the NFC, to me, the Bears are the best team in the NFC North. Sorry, I'm saying it. The Bears are the best team just because of the weapons. To me, the Bears have better weapons than the Lions. Because I think I didn't have a better quarterback. The Bears are more all-rounded. But doesn't mean I don't think the Lions can be a playoff team. If they're at 9-7 and seven, or even maybe 8-8, eight and eight, they could sneak in because their division is that bad. And they should sweep Minnesota both games. I wanted to ask you about Nate Freeze. Oh, Glad you brought that up. Well, Nate Freeze has had a terrible year, and hence why the Lions cut him. The late Rob Baronis is very terrible who passed away in a car accident near Nashville, in a suburb near Nashville, Tennessee. The Lions worked him out, and they were really considering signing him. They signed Alex Henry, the former Eagles kicker, and Nate Freeze, the rookie, the seventh-round pick, just wasn't getting it done. He had already missed, what, four field goals? I mean, he, he has not made a kick over 35 yards this season. Yep. He missed one 40 yards last night. Yeah. Or not last night. Yeah, I get you. Last, uh, yesterday afternoon. <laughs> yes. But the point is, special teams, they needed to get some kicks. And they didn't make some big kicks. And guys, special teams is a momentum thing. You make a big kick, that swings momentum. Yes, you, a kicker can't score 10 points or 7 points or 6 points or 45 in one kick. But the point is, when a kicker makes a big kick for you, that's a big momentum booster. That's a big momentum booster, and they lack that with Nate Freeze. And, hey, Jim Caldwell thought he made the right call bringing Nate Freeze. I'm glad that the staff wasn't ignorant, realized they made a mistake, cut uh, Freeze, and, hey, they bring in Alex Henry, and it's the right move. Simply put. I'm excited to see how he performs. Well, you know Alex Henry is a good kicker. 
That's the thing. He's got that past experience where you can see his results. Well, Faith, the thing with Alex Henry is this. He kicked for the Eagles, and he was decent. Nate Freeze out, Alex Henry in. And you know what you got out of this guy? I'm very glad they swapped kickers because he's, you know, he's a veteran. He got drafted in 2011, fourth round, 120th overall by the Eagles. I mean, let, I'm just, let me just read you his stats over the years. So 2011, his rookie year, 16, or I'm sorry, tw- 16 games played. So he hasn't missed a game ever when he's been on a roster. That, I need to make that point. 2011, 16 games. 2012, same story. 2013, same story. Here. In 2011, his rookie year, 27, or 24 for 27, 89%. 2012, 27 for 31, 87%. 2013, 23 for 28. Big. In 2011, his rookie season, two kicks 50-plus made. 2012, one kick 50-plus made. 2013, two kicks 50-plus uh, made. The point is, he's kicking indoors. And hence, the Lions have a great— That's how you knew Nate Freeze just wasn't ready. Kicking at Ford Field is traditionally very easy. So I think Alex Henry will have success. 89, 87, 82 is not bad. And I think he can make the big kick for you without bringing your team down and swing momentum. If you can swing momentum with the big kicks, then the Lions will be okay. And that's what I think Alex Henry brings. Now, coming up tonight, yep. which we're all going to watch this game after, yep. after, the, after the pact. I assume you're talking about the Monday night game. Yes, of course. Um, you know, the New York Jets, they have an incredible defense. Yep. How do you think the Lions are going to fare up against the New York Jets? I think they have to throw the ball. And I think running the football, the Lions are terrible. Because apparently, Reggie Butch is not giving you anything. For some reason, Jim Caldwell is only giving Reggie Butch 12 carries. That's not enough for Reggie Bush. I don't care if he's not that through the tackles. He's a scat guy. But I think they're going to have to throw the ball, Fate. This is a team that's six in the NFL in passing yards per game. They allow a ton of passing yards. Or I'm sorry, they, they're very good against the pass. And they're somewhat decent against the run. Defensively, they're giving you a lot. They can't run the ball. They're 25th in the NFL. The Jets are first in stopping it. So to me, you're going to have to throw the ball. And hopefully, they can catch. We hope so. I, I agree. So, 100% Lions, though, coming up. A little way too early prediction. Monday, or Monday, Sunday, this coming Sunday, 1 p.m. game. Lions travel to the Meadowlands in New Jersey. Who wins? Lions, Jets. Hmm. I think. I Putting think, you on the spot. I know. I think Jets might win this one. I agree with you. I think the Jets are going to win because I just think the Lions are due for an abysmal game, which they lose. I think the Jets win 24 or 27-17, 10-point win. People are sleeping on the Jets this year. Geno Smith's been pretty solid. I think the Jets win, and hey, it's not that I think the Lions are going to be bad. I just think there's something about this Jets team I think they can take it to the Lions, simply put. Keep it right here, though, Faith, because what are we talking about next? We're talking Tigers, and will this team make the playoffs? They have a two-game lead over the Royals. Keep it right here on the pack as we debate Tigers baseball Coming up with our last week of the MLB regular season, we'll preview a little playoff stuff. If they make it, we think they will. Keep it right here on the pack on WDBM East Lansing. You're listening to the Pact on 88.9 FM, WDBM East Lansing. 
Smoking helpline. Yes, I need to start smoking right away. Excuse me? I need to start smoking. Well, actually, it's the Stop Smoking helpline. The people in the apartment next to mine smoke three packs a day, and it drives me crazy. So I'm thinking four packs will do it. I think you want MySmokeFreeApartment.org. It gives you the information you need to work toward a smoke-free apartment building. A smoke-free building? Without all that smoking? Uh, yeah, that's right. Make your apartment smoke-free without making a stink. MySmokeFreeApartment.org. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Wednesday nights from 8 until midnight, it's the Impact's Accidental Blues, your source for great blues music, news, and concert information. Only on Impact Primetime. Hola, my name is Esperanza. After a tragic incident, I was forced from a life of riches in Mexico to a life of poverty in the United States. My mother has become ill and we have become separated from our family. Now I must work for both of us to try to bring the rest of our family together. My name is Esperanza and I am trying to survive. Explore new worlds. Read my story in the novel Esperanza Rising by Pam Munoz Ryan. For other great book ideas, visit your local library or log on to literacy.gov. Brought to you by the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. And now back to the Pact here on 88.9 FM. I like what I see out of the Tigers. I really do. And they had a big series win over the Kansas City Royals. They took two out of three in Kansas City. Faith, that place was rocking. And Justin Verlander stepped up big. And Justin Verlander has had a struggle this season. 14 and 12. But you know what, Faith? On Friday night... September 19th, they needed a big performance out of him, and guess what? They got it, and if Justin pitches like that, and you know, down the stretch, you know you're going to get primetime Justin Verlander. Seven and a third, only allowing seven hits, one earned run, four strikeouts. He's not the strikeout guy, I guess, this year, but you know what, Faith? They needed a big performance from Justin Verlander on Friday, and they got it. You know, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I'm glad you brought that point up, because that was one thing during the series that I was very impressed with was Justin Verlander. He was playing urgent. He was very focused. And it almost seemed like it was the old Justin Verlander that we always missed. You know, the one that has been decreasing the, ever since a few years ago. The Justin that they need, Faith. And if the Tigers are going to make a run in the playoffs, because according to ESPN.com, they have a 98% chance of making the playoffs. If the Tigers are going to win that elusive World Series title for Mike Illich, Justin Verlander has to be the guy. And I know we are saying this over and over again, but if he is not the guy, the Tigers are need to be three deep. Yeah, Sanchez. Good news, Anibal Sanchez is going to be activated tomorrow. I'm so excited. You're excited. <laughs> he is the one I've been, you know, just vying for this whole time. Sanchez, he was the one that they need to be. They need to be playing. But Faith, I agree. But when it comes down to it, this series against Kansas City in Kansas City. A playoff atmosphere. The fans at the Thunder Six in Kansas City. Rocking crowd. Over 100,000 tickets sold for the weekend. Friday night, you see a lights out performance. A seven and a third by Justin Verlander. Four strikeouts. And then on Saturday night, you see my boy, Max Scherzer. Improving a 17 and five this season. Seven innings pitch. Seven hits. One earned run. Walks a guy. Six strikeouts. 113 pitches. A 319 ERA. And hands down, the Tigers pitching MVP this season. And look. Yes, they lose on Sunday, but to me, it doesn't matter. It was all said and done. They needed what they needed to do, and they win a series in Kansas City, and Porcello gets a loss. 
But you know what, Faith? Who cares? You lose 5-2 on Sunday. You win two out of three. All you have to do is take care of business. They have all home games remaining. Seven games are all at home. You're done with the away games. Lobstein, Price, Furlander, Scherzer, Porcello, Lobstein, Price. That's what you have left going for the regular season. You're getting Price twice. You're getting Verlander once. And Faith, guess what? I think they'll be okay. They have seven games left. They're ahead one and a half games. And granted, they're playing with the White Sox and uh, the Twins, correct? Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Twins all at home. So here's the thing, though, is that those are both the bottom. Not to mention the Tigers are already up 2 nothing over the White Sox. I'm sorry, correction, they are losing 2 nothing against the White Sox right now. So they are losing, but it looks like they can get something going on. So Lobsing already out, allowing two earned runs. But Faith, you said it yourself. And I think this is pretty easy because we were talking about this off air for a second. Now, if God forbid the Tigers get into a playoff, one game playoff wild card situation. Now, hence, I don't think they will. I think they win the Central. But if they need be, you can go Scherzer off three days rest or you can go Verlander off four. So regardless, if you're at that one game playoff, you got to feel pretty comfortable because they have two of your guys that you rely on in a one game win all situation. I feel very confident with Max Scherzer, and I feel very confident with Justin Verlander. And it all comes down to those starting pitchers. They got to get that bullpen working. Yeah. Like I said, they have, you know, they're playing the two worst teams in the division coming up. Yeah. So as long as they win, how many games do they have to win? At least. Well, they're up by two games. Kansas City's schedule doesn't look too, too difficult. I think, hey, if the Tigers just win a series, three out of four against the worst team in your division, and then two out of three against the White Sox, who are their nemesis. Hey, they need to play, uh, and I mean they, I mean the Royals. They need to play Cleveland, and then you play the White Sox. Now, the Royals are all on the road. Playing on the road is different. That last series against Detroit was rocking, which is why I like their chances. Now, I do think the Royals will still make the playoff. It'll just be in a wild card situation with Oakland, a team that Detroit wants to avoid. I'm a little bit concerned with the Tigers, although they're playing the two worst teams in the division coming up next at home. Yeah. I'm a little bit concerned because Complacency? They, they no, they haven't fared well against either of these teams. If you look back on it, Tigers are eight and nine, eight and eight against the White Sox. They got Chris Sale, who's incredible. And the Tigers are seven and eight against the Twins. Yeah, I mean, look, when it comes down to it, yes, I can see your point. But the only thing that you got to bring in is really a Seattle team who is dangerous. But Seattle today, right now is already down 4-1 to the Blue Jays, who essentially aren't playing too much. So they're in a must-win situation against a four-game series against Toronto and then a three-game series at home at Seattle against the Angels, who've already clinched. You have Felix Hernandez going twice. So to me, that's a team you look out for because I think Seattle could sneak in. I do think the Royals will get in, but Seattle could sneak in. And that brings in a whole nother can of worms. Who should win MVP? Everyone is saying, oh, no, 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 no. It should be this, this, this guy. What about Robinson Cano? Cano has made that team single-handedly competitive for Seattle. And that's a team that could sneak in the AL and maybe give the Tigers some trouble. If they get past the wild card, if they even get there, Oakland, I think Detroit can handle. I think Oakland's in a free fall. They're four to six of the last 10. They're only 15 games above 500. And I say only because Faith, they were electric. Oakland can't win on the road. They're under 500 at, uh, on the road. So if you're in a series against Oakland, I feel pretty good if I'm a Tigers fan. 
What do you think is going to be the deciding factor for these upcoming games, though? Pitching. You think pitching? Yeah. Who is your go-to guy that you feel will get the job done? Max Scherzer, because he's been that guy all year. 319 ERA, 17-5. and five. Look at that start on Saturday. You needed a big quality start from Max Scherzer. You got it. One earned, six Ks, seven innings pitched. That's my guy. It's been my guy all season, Faith. He's my guy because he's been the most reliable. And it's a shame because this guy isn't going to be your guy next year because he's going to be in pinstripes. No, he's going he's gonna to get out of Detroit. But you Who's know, your guy? I, I'm excited for Sanchez to come back. And I've been preaching Sanchez But he's from your the guy, beginning. though? I'm excited because uh, if you look at, if you look so at his stats. So he's your guy. Yes, he is my guy. Forgive me, i got to spit that out of you. Okay, well, he is my guy. Okay. This is what I'm saying. He's a 3.46 ERA, 1.1 whip, 102 strikeouts, and 125 innings this season. How many innings pitches does he have this season? 125. Exactly. But here's the thing. If you look at the current pitchers for the Detroit Tigers, you have David Price. In the past three starts, he's 1-2, 4.5 ERA, 132 whip. Max Scherzer, your guy. This is the guy you love. I love him. His pack past six starts, he's two and one, four point four six ERA, one thirty whip. I don't. I don't think that those are that good. Justin Verlander in September, six oh five ERA, one thirty four whip. No faith, but when it comes down to it, Max Scherzer is getting it done because he takes it deep into games, and that's why I like Max Scherzer. Since August fourth, Max Scherzer has only one start. Only one star under six innings pitch, and that was August 24th at Minnesota. They won 13-4, but he only put five innings pitch. So to me, Max Scherzer's your guy because he takes you deep in the game, especially when a bullpen has been your Achilles heel. All season long, Max Scherzer eats innings. So you can say ERA, you can tell me whip, fine, fine, fine. But all season long, Max Scherzer's ERA has been really in the low threes all season long, when the bullpen has been bad, he has been good. I like Max as my guy. Your guy, you can't even rely on. That guy's been on the DL multiple times this year. And guess what? I don't think uh, I don't think Anibal Sanchez will even be in the rotation in the playoffs. You don't. I don't because he hasn't been healthy. You put him in. You put him in the bullpen where your bullpen's been struggling. Because for the ALDS, if they get there, which I think they will, you know who they're going to roll with: Verlander, Price, Scherzer. And I think your fourth guy in the in the CS, if they get there, will be a Ricky Porcello. I don't think Price has been the pitcher the Tigers thought all along. I mean, I don't think that they expected him to be this not as good. No, you know, but they, especially because trading Drew Smiley and Austin Jackson. No, but he's still David Price. You know what I'm saying? So even when Justin, what does that mean? Well, every season Justin Verlander, everyone was writing the guy off, but he's still Justin Verlander. This guy, David Price, is a stud. This guy pitched them. This guy has more World Series experience than anyone on the Tigers. That's a fact. None of the, no one on the Tigers, and you could tell me whatever Miguel Cabrera. I think Miguel Cabrera was a rookie that year they won the uh, they won the World Series. Might have been the year after 04. Justin Verlander has never licked a World Series in his life. Max Scherzer's never licked a World Series in his life. None of these guys have really gotten close to winning the World Series when Price has been really right there. Price did absolutely well for the Rays. You know, the Cy Young winner, he had great stats. But with the Tigers, just a quarter of the season, his stats, I don't think, are very impressive. They're not. They're, so, real, they're not. But when it comes down to it, he's, you still need him. And if, if you think they're going to put Anibal Sanchez in the rotation over David Price, you're just delusional. Okay. Well, we'll see, won't we? Uh, yeah. And 
you never know because the Tigers manager is an absolute joke. I don't think he's a joke. I but... think he's a joke this year, but I don't care that he's a joke because this is a process of being a rookie manager. When you're a rookie manager, it's growing pains. Yes, David Price is 14 for 14 for 12, but guess what? The whip is great. He's a 109 whip. He's got 255 strikeouts, 337 ERA. I like what I see out of David Price this year. I think this is going back to Sanchez. I think they're going to put him. He's going to he's going to pitch out of bullpen. Again, I do. Again, David Price eats innings. Whatever. He eats innings. He's only had one start at the Yankees where he got shelled. That two innings pitched. Other than that, since August fifth, eight and a, eight and two thirds. He has gotten eight. He's gotten eight innings plus since August fifth, five plus times. He goes deep into games, and to me. When a guy that hasn't been healthy like Anibal Sanchez, he's just not reliable. All right. I just I still think he's going to pitch out of the bullpen, but we will see, won't we? So you wait, you think Price will pitch out of the bullpen? No, I think Sanchez will. Yeah, I I I I do think so as well. Now, more importantly, you think this team will win the division or no? I do. I do too. You know, I do want to ask you right before we wrap this show up. Yeah. Closers. Who yeah. is gonna be your guy? Because I don't know why Joe Nathan is still there. I think Soria is probably a better option right now. Soria is a better option. I don't, you know, I think Joe Nathan, number one, has been this up and down. Nobody, not very, he's very inconsistent, unreliable. Chamberlain, I feel like he's struggled the second half of the season. Jabba Chamberlain is awful. I've always said he's awful. I've I've said he's awful since he's been on the Yankees. They, they, They tried making him a reliever. He was terrible there. Then they tried making him a starter. He was terrible there. And they make him a reliever again. He's not good. Albuquerque has been up and down as well. Jim Johnson, I yeah, I don't think he's settled in very much. No, he's not like he was on the Orioles. So why are they sticking with Nathan? Because really, you got a guy like Brad Osmus who has an affiliation to Joe Nathan. But when it comes down to it, Faith, his ERA is five. He's got 33 saves this year. And saves don't matter. Like, saves is such a ridiculous stat. Because you got to look at saves plus save opportunities and how many blown saves he's had. Realistically... He's had a good amount of blown saves this season. But when it comes down to it, the ERA is high. Joe Nathan's 39 years old. He's not the same guy that he used to in Texas, in Minnesota. He's just not that guy anymore. I get why Osmus is sticking to the guy, but seven blown saves in a season is a lot. And hence, the last blown save was that game against Minnesota that they absolutely should have won. And when Joe Nathan blows saves, Faith, two earned, three earned, it's games they really should win. To me, Soria should be your guy. But going forward, I get why you're trying to sense allegiance with Joe Nathan, a veteran. But at the end of the day, Joe or Joe, Brad Ausmus needs to understand to pull that plug. And hopefully he will. But in the playoffs, when the pressure is high, maybe it should go with closer by committee. As a manager, I feel like you should play who you think is going to be best in that spot. And Soria, I think they're really they're mismanaging him. Because he should be the one reliable one. Well, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, you you gave away a lot of prospects for him. You gave away two big prospects in your farm system for the guy. So to understand why they're babying him, I don't know if that's the word is 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 very interesting. Of you know, is an interesting statistic. But when it comes down to it, Faith, they're gonna regardless if this team is gonna go deep, they need to rely on two guys in the bullpen, Joe Nathan. And Joaquim Soria. Because when it comes down to it, if those guys are bad, you're not winning. Because your bullpen is your Achilles heel. Everyone knows it. 
And if you're not good in the bullpen, you're just not going to win. Because these teams in the AL fate will cut you up. I said it really early, midseason. The team to watch out for was the Angels. I did say that. And the Angels are clearly the best team in the AL. Can you beat a team like Los Angeles? Tough. Because to me, they could beat Oakland. A team to look out for is Seattle if they get in. I, I think they can beat Kansas City. I think they can beat the Orioles. They're going to come out, I think, probably playing the Orioles. That's probably what's, what's going to happen because you're going to see that if the – see, that, that's why – see, that's the beauty of it. That's why if you have home field advantage, you're just set. And you look at what the Angels do and they're set because anyone they can beat handsomely in a series – and that's when, you, when you're the best team, you're the best team, Faith. They can beat the Orioles, they can beat the Tigers, they can beat the Royals, they can beat the Mariners, and they can beat the Angels. I'm sorry, and they can beat the uh, Athletics. They are the Angels. Two of those teams are in their division. AOS is very competitive. I want to give you a little update. Okay. White Sox lead the Tigers 2-0 at the end of the third. Yep. It's still 2-0 in that game. Two earned runs for Kyle Lobstein. Bottom of th- is it through third at three innings? Yep. That's right. End of the third. You can watch that game on Fox Sports Detroit. I'm sure Mario and Pemba and Jack Allen or Rod Allen and Jack Morris will take you all the way there. Or you can check over to Monday Night Football Fate. I'll be watching a little Monday Night Football. Of course, I will too. Yeah. I'll be there with you. What are you talking about? We'll be there together, Faith. Catch up. We'll be by Papinos watching a little Monday Night Football. And for everyone on the pack, thanks so much for listening, Faith. Tigers make the playoffs according to Faith, and hence, World Series team for them. Uh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> I, I kind of agree. No one's here for the Tigers. Thank you so much for listening. For myself and Faith Krogalecki, the place to embrace the Spartan debate is here on the pack from 7 to 8 from the basement of Old One All. Thanks so much for listening. Mahalo, aloha. Enjoy your week, everyone. You stay warm.